We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your true faith, Newcastle United post podcast. Great start. Uh, Alex Hurst, <laughs> Norman Riley, Mark Corby, and special guest today. First time we've had this special guest on since June and the end of last season. It's the Telegraph's Luke Edwards. Luke, how are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm good, thank you. Just been seeing my uh, my dad, who's in my childcare bubble, before people get um, start getting <laughs> defensive. Just seen him for his 77th birthday. So uh, that, was, that was very nice this morning. Good to hear, and happy birthday to Edwards Sr. Um, well, it's, it's, it's a good day, and it's a good day because Newcastle United have gone away from home in the Premier League and, and done something they've rarely done in the last 10 to 15 years, and that's won. Um, live on on your tablet or your laptop, but not your telly, on Amazon Prime last night. And we're going to get into the game, what we did well, what we didn't do so well. And we're going to talk, not project big picture, but the big picture Newcastle United. Steve Bruce, we on the podcast uh, called last week, as did many other Newcastle fans. That time is up for Steve Bruce. He has come back after pretty a pretty bad week media-wise. You know, uh, discussions of, of player unrest, losing the dressing room. Alan St. Maximan, lots of... Uh, Luke's journalistic colleagues yesterday suggesting that he might not have been injured. And um, they, they've come back and they've won 2-0 in, in, in a game that a lot of people thought thought would lose and lose quite badly considering recent performances. So, Luke, Newcastle won 2-0. Do you, did you think this was a game that Bruce needed to win or at least get a performance out of the players from? I think so. Um, I think, as you all know, I said judge him after 10 games and I'm, I'm, sure, we will, I'm sure we will get on to that later um i think the manner of the defeats against southampton and chelsea disappointed everybody it, it angered some it, it led to you know uh, probably more bruce's time is up i mean obviously i respect the guys at true faith but also there, there are other people out there podcast websites who i do respect and i do listen to and obviously i argue with them um as well but um it did seem like it was it was reaching a bit of a crescendo, if you know what I mean. I mean, as I've pointed out, I still don't think he would have been sacked by Mike Ashley, but um, that doesn't mean that supporters should be ignored and should not be able to express their anger. So Southampton was dreadful. Chelsea was pretty awful, albeit against a team that I think could win the title this season in, in Chelsea. Um, but it was just a manner of both defeats. It all looked a bit clueless and wayward and um bogged down in all the same deficiencies that we we've seen over the last 15 months so but what what Steve Bruce has managed to do throughout his time at Newcastle is when he's needed a result he has got one and 
I think we can put to bed the nonsense about him losing the dressing room. Um, I know those rumours were beginning to start last week um, and were being spread by by some people in the media as well, or certainly hinted at, shall we say. Um, Yeah, so he did need that result. And it's interesting, as as I wrote in the Telegraph last week, he actually had a series of meetings with with, with senior players last week. He, He talked to them, which is good management, really, in just finding out how they felt, what they felt was going wrong, what they thought was was going badly, what needed to change. And obviously, he's the manager and makes the final decisions. But I think in, after those conversations, he decided, you know what, I'm going to go with two up front. I think he instinctively wants to play with two up front. I think, Alex, you've been saying, haven't you, that his record with two up front is a lot better than it is with playing one up front and five at the back at the moment. And they went for it and it, it, it was a little bit better. The performance was better. I, I, I couldn't watch it because don't get me started on Amazon Prime. Um, absolute disaster, Amazon Prime. I'm, so, I'm Honestly, I got so wound up about that. I, I'm already slightly technophobic anyway. And to then, like, you know, actually get it on my iPad and then it just doesn't work. And I wasn't alone in that. And look, that's a th- another third platform that we've got to pay to watch football on. And it doesn't work. It's not good enough. But anyway, so I listened to it on the radio. Um and it did sound better. I've seen the highlights since. And I know there's a lot of this stuff about Darlow kept them in it. For me, Darlow makes one really good save, which is the Benteke header, personally. Um, that is a really, really good save and obviously a really important save. But Newcastle, as they do, and they have got deficiencies, they have got limitations. But we see it time and time again with this group of players. They do care. And I do find it interesting that John Joe Shelby and Matt Ritchie both returned to the matchday squad. I know Shelby was in the matchday squad against Chelsea as well, but... There just seems to be a bit of that resilience. And, you know, again, Joel Linton, limitations, but he's never moaned. He's never wanted to leave. He's never asked to go. He's never complained about the criticism he's got. And he keeps on coming. And for all, again, all his limitations, all his deficiencies, he keeps on going. And they got, they did what they do, which is ground out a really, really important result in the context of the season, um, certainly the start of the season. And I just think, you know, Steve Bruce keeps doing this. And these group of players, keep showing their grit, their determination, their team spirit, all the things that we're supposedly want to see in a Newcastle United team. So I'm so I'm told anyway that you just want a team that tries. Well this team does try. It doesn't always play very well in tactics. It sometimes plays pretty fucking awfully, if we're all honest. But they got it he got Bruce got a result out of them. And that now, you know, for for me, for the first ten games of the season now, it's been it's been a decent start, was it? One four, lost four, drawn two. Um mid-table form perhaps but potentially with with there were encouraging signs last night that's all I would say nothing more than that encouraging signs the players are obviously still playing for him Callum Wilson you know they've that's a great signing you know we we can't take that away from, from Steve Bruce either he brought Callum Wilson into the club he makes all the difference and they got a really good result and it is a really good result when you, you know we can talk about other stuff but that was a really really good result last night Totally agree. And I think one of the, the criticisms, the major criticisms that we had on last week's podcast after the Chelsea performances were said, you know, look at similar games like that and what did what did Steve Bruce learn? What did the players learn that would was going to affect that Chelsea game in any way in terms of playing the exact same way as we had against Southampton? Well, what I was impressed about last night is Palace was a was a personal low point for me last season. One, I hate going to London, so that's always bad. Two, um, it was just a dreadful performance against a dreadful team and you know, we talked through the week, me and the lads and Charlotte about, you know, surely we can't go to Palace again and be passive and be, you know, standoffish and, and not, not get any balls in the box or, or not get players out of the ball. And 
at least at least in this we'll get into this later in terms of of seeing progress and i think a lot of people listening i assume will, will want us to talk about progress and, and the the overall plan and the point of steve bruce and newcastle united but at least we saw you know we went to palace away last season and we're dreadful we were too passive we played five at the back we played one up front well it was night and day from what we saw yesterday and, and i agree it was a far better performance don't get me wrong um you are kind of comparing <laughs> You know, not not a lot because it was it's been so bad the last two weeks. But it was nice to see some forward passes, some runs into the box, some shots, some some tackles in midfield, some interceptions, just the kind of things that you know normally as a football fan you get to watch. Mark, I'll bring you in because again you've been vocally critical of Steve Bruce uh, on this show a lot. But you know, you, you told me off air last night that you you know you you want to give credit where it's due for this one. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You, you can't ignore what happened last night. Um, I think Luke's um, analysed it pretty much spot on. Um, we went there, um, we did a job. Um, you, you, you could say, was it smash and grab? Possibly, because you could see a couple of minutes earlier with uh, Van Allen's shot come across across the goal. If that had went in, we could have been staring down the barrel of a, you know, another another defeat. Um, it's it's small margins, isn't it? And uh, as as Luke mentioned, uh, Joe Linton was. Um, you know, the, the thing about Joel Linton, without making a Joel Linton podcast, that's what we want to, you know, we've, we've done at the death. Um, he, he, some of his shots look weak and his goal was fortunate, but as, as Luke said, he, does, he doesn't hide. But it's, it's, it's with Joel Linton and with the, the majority of the, the team, shall we say, I think we'll, all, what we all want is to start building now this consistency. You know, we need to take it into a good run of form. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to say, We've won one, drew one, lost one, and that, that's that's fine. That's that that's is what's happening this season. But the only way Steve Bruce and this current crop of players can um, you know win over a lot of the fan base is by getting a good head of steam, building some momentum. You know, if you look at the fixtures coming up, we've got another another uh, team opponent who were, were finished above last season in Aston Villa. We've got three promoted promoted sides to come. And we've also got what you could see on paper as a, a favourable draw away at Brentford in the Cup. So, you know, we could be sitting back here um, at Christmas, uh, potentially with another one with Luke, and we could be talking about something totally, totally different. And that this is ultimately, that's what we all want. We want to back the manager. We want, you know, uh, productive football. Um, last night, we've seen signs that there's a, there's a good team there. Um, but we can't get carried away, as I say. Um we, we we have moved up to what is it tenth, but we could we could drop as low back down to fourteenth by the, the close of this weekend's fixtures. So, you know, it's a welcome victory. It does shut people up, including myself. But I'll I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll say I'll say exactly what I what I said on Twitter. You know, after the Everton game, I tweeted and said that was welcome. We need to build on it. And all I did last night was retweeted that one from the Everton game and said nothing's changed. We still need consistency. We still need to build. And, um, you know, deep, deep down, when, when push comes to shove, I don't think Steve Bruce is the right man to take us forward. But that's just my opinion. And, you know, but if we're sitting here in a few weeks' time, and as I say, we've, we've picked up some more positive results and uh, we're through the next round of the Cup, then, you know, you've got to see he's, he's turned whatever he's had to turn around. Um, but yeah, answer your question, Alex. Credit for last night, absolutely. Norman, are you going to say anything? Come on. Absolutely, I was just waiting for the cue from Alex. But um, don't worry about Alex. I'll take over. Now that now that you're now that you're hosting Luke, um, I'll dive straight <laughs> in. 
Um, <laughs> last night's performance, looking at it on its own, nothing can be taken away from it. A 2 0 win away at any club in the Premier League is a good result, regardless of the quality of the game. I will say, what I will say is first is that it was a, a game between two very, very average sides. There's no two ways about that. But Newcastle did a job. Palace obviously had chances, but we had chances. I'll look at the positives. Um, Joe Linton, last night, he was Newcastle's most creative player. He had more touches in um, the opposition box than any other, any other Newcastle player. What I did like about him last night was that in the past, what I've seen is with him, and this must be a confidence thing, is that he's almost scared to take a gamble, scared to take a shot, scared to run at the space when the ball comes across the box. Because I think with confidence levels being so low, there's almost more a fear of missing a chance than actually going for a chance. Whereas last yeah. night, last night he took shots. And yes, they weren't necessarily powerful shots or accurate, but the fact that he was taking them and repeatedly taking them, that to me looked like a bit of a shift in, in how he's how he's carrying himself on the pitch. And obviously towards the end, he got a, a goal. Yes, it was deflected, but it doesn't matter. If you're playing up front, the ball's in the back of the net, you've done your job. Yeah, and a great assist. And that great assist from Alan uh, Wilson as well. I was just saying that, but you interrupted, interrupted us, Luke. Sorry, Norman. Sorry, um, sorry. But, uh, it, was an, it was an excellent assist. He was really good. A couple of other things I picked up on. Sean Longstaff last night had a really good yeah. game. Now, OK, he wasn't necessarily a, a huge driving force going forward in these fluid attacking movements. But what he did was he intercepted, he made more interceptions than any other Newcastle player. And he had the highest pass completion rate of any other player, 91%. Now, OK, that might just be, you know, a save-based pass off to a fullback, but it doesn't matter what it is. Is it's it's maintaining possession, it's turning possession over, it's it's what you need from a, a midfielder who's kind of playing a an almost box to box role. Um, I thought Fernandez and Clark played well at centre half. I thought that they combined pretty well. Or yes, Palace didn't create much, but I still thought they were relatively solid. Um, and obviously Darlow had a good game, and and even Shelby, who you know I, I'm quite critical of at times. I thought him coming back in the side last night gave us a, a dimension that we, we've lacked for the last couple you of on, games. You only, sorry, Norm, you, on, you only miss Shelby. You only realise what Shelby does sometimes when he's not in the team, if that makes sense. You sometimes he'll go and receive the ball off the off the defenders and he does look to go forward with his passes and they, they haven't got another central midfielder who can do that, which I agree with you with Shelby. Annoy, he annoys me incredibly, but he does got, he has got something that the other midfielders don't, and he does add something to the way the team plays when he's in the team. So it's it's just one of those weird ones. It's just one of those infuriating players. Well, out of the centre midfielders that we've got, he's the he's the most creative one. I think with Shelby, what you said there is true, but also to flip it around, he's one of those players who gets better when he's not available. Um, yeah, we hold him up to be some sort of outrageous answer to every question, but actually, he's just an okay centre midfielder who, when he's in the Newcastle side, tends to improve it. Um, but either way, there were a lot of positives last night, and. It's, the thing is, it's difficult to get too excited because, as Luke mentioned uh, in his opening um, talk there, and I agree with virtually everything you said, um, the thing with Newcastle is under Bruce, we do get these results. And it's almost a case of, right, OK, we've had a good performance against Palace, but literally I've got absolutely zero idea of what we're going to get next. And I yeah. think we'll we'll get into this in, in the conversation. That kind of ties into this you know this word that's thrown around a lot in terms of identity of the team. But yeah. last night, on last night on its own, can't 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 grumble at all. Grumble. The, you go, the, word. the one, the one, the one thing that has fascinated me, and I, I was, I was, I was being a little mischievous when I, when I, when I tweeted it. But it does interest, fascinate me actually, because we know we mentioned about St Maximum missing uh, last night. I just wonder what Alan St Maximum was thinking when he was presumably watching at home. The boy's got all the talent. He's not a boy, is he? I can't believe he used that expression. Um, but he's got 
all the talent in the world, but he's at Newcastle because he's damaged goods. And he's, you know, he left Nice. I think Vieira, he'd fallen out with Vieira. Um, now, look, have Bruce and St. Maximum fallen out? No. But St. Maximum wasn't playing well. And Joel Linton now has got more goals this season and as many Premier League assists. And that statistic, it's like, it's, it's, you can twist statistics, obviously, but because we all know what St. Maximum brings to the team and it's been a lot more than Joel Linton. But in terms of defining a performance, Joel Linton's performance last night was, was just as defining of the result as St. Maximum's was against Burnley, a goal and an assist. So, you know, St. Maximum's got more to do. Bruce, I think, actually handles him pretty well. If you remember when there was all the stories of the bust up last time, St. Maximum came back into the team and probably played his best, put as strong his best performances together after being dropped. So I think he was going to be dropped for, for the Crystal Palace game. Um, whether he's, you know, pulled a bit of a fast one with his calf injury in training or whatever, apparently he lasted half an hour in the session before playing with a calf injury. So Maximum's been taken off in virtually every single game this season and he has done nothing really since the Burnley game, since he got his new contract. Now that's up to Steve Bruce's manager to man-manage I am going to say some somebody whose track record and the reputation he came with from Nice is difficult. He's difficult to manage. He's a wonderful, wonderful player, but I think he's difficult. So it'll be fascinating to see how that unfolds because Newcastle are, all of us will agree, I think, a better team with a a, a good, focused, effective St Maximum in it. But he hasn't done anything for weeks. So Bruce, again, he makes that difficult decision. He's going to take out the star player, the fan favourite, and replace him effectively with Joel Linton. Uh, and it worked. So another day that might not have worked. But it, but for me, that was a really interesting sort of subplot of that defeat yesterday. This little build-up. If they'd have lost, that sort of... not it, There hasn't been a bust-up. Let's not over-egg what has happened. A player has been dropped for playing badly. It happens all the time in professional football at every single club. It's now up to... It'd be fascinating to see how St Maximum reacts to that and the fact that he was dropped the player who came in for him got a goal and an assist. Newcastle have won two nil away from home. I think that's going to be fascinating to see over the next couple of weeks. Because at the end of the day, it's up to the player. It's up to the player to respond to that in the right way. Not the, the manager's just been vindicated for his decision. It's now up to the player to force his way back into the team. Don't you think, Luke, though, that maybe... I mean, for a start, I, I will say it's a bit harsh seeing that he's difficult to manage, given that he arrived from France like, at the age of 22. I think, you know, a lot of... A lot he of, came with that reputation, though. He, came, uh, Vieira, he fell out with Vieira massively. Um, which 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 is fair enough, but let's you know let, let's look at Patrick Vieira's career as a footballer as well. I mean, he had plenty of fallings, didn't he? However, we'll, we'll park that for a second. What what I would ask you is, don't you think that Maximan's performance have been poss- performances have been possibly impacted by the fact that he's been played completely out of position? And I, don't think, be I don't think the number ten. I don't think the number ten experiment worked. No. So, but that that was an experiment. He was, you know, in management, you look at different things. It didn't work, and he's he's better out on the wing. I think I think we we can all agree with that. His best performances have come on the wing, or when he cuts in off the wing and does a little bit of floating role. But he's effectively out on the wing. But look, his performances haven't been good enough. That's the bottom line. Over the last few games since Burnley, they've not been good enough, um, and he's been dropped. So deal with it. You know, that's football. He's been dropped. He's a talented player. He's pro- he probably is the best player at the club. He signed his new six-year contract. And as Alan Shearer said, you know, and he's better qualified to speak about it than me, he's not broken a sweat since he signed his new contract. Now, you can start saying that's because of changing position. OK, fine. That didn't work. He was on the wing against Chelsea. He did absolutely nothing. So, you know, 
he's he's lost form and it's up to him to regain it. And as, as so far, the manager has been justified in the decision he took in the middle of last week that he wasn't going to start him at Crystal Palace. So that's management. It could have worked. It might not have worked. But it's now up to the player. It's now up to the player to do it. It's the player to force his way, rediscover his form, make himself undroppable. And he hasn't been good enough recently. I am um, not pleased he's injured, but it would have been quite the selection last night to play Jeff Henrik on the <laughs> wing, head of Alan Saxman. Um, but, you know, I mean, Henrik, we could talk about later. I think there's been some really good discussion points in here, just just quickly on what on Norman said there. Longstaff and Shelby, I, I can't actually think of a time they've started a game together. The best central midfield team? partnership, yeah. Yeah, so that's really positive. They both move the ball quickly, which the other central midfielders do not. Um, and and that you, you noticed that last night, and particularly compared to Southampton away, I thought I thought Longstaff was actually very good in Chelsea last week, doing the same thing, moving the ball quickly, not taking lots of touches. And and and, and Luke, you're spot on. Shelby, particularly compared to Hayden and Hendrick, looks to go forward, not backwards or sideways. Um, so that was positive. I thought Kieran Clark and Fernandez were were really good. This is probably a controversial one. I think that Lascelles may struggle to get back in. I, I like the way that both of those players attack the ball. Lascelles has got this this tendency to let the ball bounce or to try and shepherd it out or overplay, whereas those two players out of play, get it forward, no nonsense. And if you if you look at the Southampton game, for example, when the ball just kept coming back over and over again, well, it caught, you know, it'll come back, but if you're kicking it 60 yards up the pitch and it, it might look a big agricultural, it, it relieved the pressure in a way last night and, and Palace really struggled to get, like to hem the team in consistently like other teams this season have. So f- fair play to Bruce for that one as well. I know Lascelles was injured, but... He likes no- Clark though, didn't he? That interview he gave to BBC Newcastle was was really, I thought that was illuminating actually. I think he sees a little bit of himself in Kieran Clark, if that makes sense. Um, Kieran Clark the other day. Uh, well, you know what I mean, Bruce. What I mean is Bruce the centre back. Do you know what I mean? I think I, th- I think he, I th- I, and I just thought that I don't know if you've heard the comments he said on BBC Newcastle. He actually said, you know, how much they've missed him, and and he's obviously just really, really likes him. And Fernandez again. Fernandez wasn't first choice, was he? Went until Bruce came in, and I think Fernandez now is probably the most reliable centre back. So there are encouraging. But look, I- I'm going to agree again with what Mark and Norman have both said. We've been here before after one good result with Steve Bruce and Newcastle. Now we need a run of results. That's what we all need because we can keep going doing this dance after one defeat, one draw, and we can all take our positions and none of us change our minds because effectively it's so inconsistent that one week they're terrible, one week they're okay, one week they're good, and it's just this repetitive cycle and all of the vitriol and smugness that that unleashes on social media depending on the result. We need to run the results now. And I I said before the Palace game, this run of games leading up and finishing probably with the Brentford Cup quarterfinal will, to all extents and purposes, define whether Newcastle are making progress under Steve Bruce this season or certainly define the first half of the campaign or whether they're still just treading water and doing enough to get by and nothing more. So for me, this run up to Christmas, culminating with that Brentford Cup quarterfinal, which I, you know, for me is probably in my own romantic notions of, of football is probably more important to me than West Brom, Villa, Fulham, Leeds. I want them to win that cup quarterfinal more than any of those league games. That's, that's just me because I just think to get to a cup semi-final and be within that chance of getting to Wembley and a cup final again would just be magnificent. But this period, this little microcosm in the season, forget what's happened before. This is the time for Steve Bruce to prove he can put a run together. So I think it was you, Mark, who said that, wasn't it? But that's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. 
we we have these isolated good results and good performances. And then we have a bad result and a bad performance. Let's just put the put a form together, put a run of games together, maybe win four out of the next five or something like that, or even three and two draws, but just remain unbeaten and put a run together and actually show us that this team can do that, is good enough to do that, and he's good enough as manager to keep to put that sort of run of results together. I agree. And ultimately, if you look at Steve Bruce's time so far, it has been a story of, of any time we've got excited. And I think Burnley away last season was a big one. We had a great week. We beat Sheffield United, we beat Southampton, we drew against Manchester City, we went to Burnley who had conceded 14 goals in three games or something and, and got beaten. It was the same Burnley this season. Burnley all the time. Burnley this season. You know, we won that game. Everyone was happy it was an international break. We come back against Manchester United. And again, it's not the result against Manchester United. It was it was the performance and the listlessness and the passivity of it. And the fact that, you know, you, you've all mentioned Joe Linton there, and I think they're all good points. Joe Linton looks so much more comfortable playing off Callum Wilson. Yeah. You know, I never want to see him on the wing again for Newcastle United. We never should have seen him in the first place. All this bollocks about he's a, he's a left winger. He's a, it, it, nonsense. He, he clearly is a player who thrives in the middle of the pitch. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I feel sorry for Joe Linton because, yes, Luke, you say, you know, Bruce has managed him well. Well, he had a really good game against Burnley, possibly his best game so far until last night. And the next game he finds himself out on the wing again. Yeah. Well, you know, st- st- stuff like that's got to stop. And I suppose to moving on slightly, one of the things I'd like to ask you, Luke, yeah. is... Is is do you think Bruce doubts himself too much? You know, he, he constantly talks about wanting to play two strikers. Great, and you know, I think everyone's with him. I, you know, I, I tend to look at the back, and you're right. I've made the point that we've only won two of the last nineteen Premier League games playing with five at the back. And whilst there've been some good teams in there, there've also been some very bad teams in terms of opposition. I mean, um, no, no, knowing Steve Bruce as I do, it's quite an interesting question. He obviously, on one hand, has the skin of a rhinoceros. Um. <laughs> But on the other, I think he is sensitive, too sensitive. And I think he has, I think he's listened to too much of the criticism or taken too much to his heart. And I know he's not reading it himself, but somebody around him is telling him. And actually, my advice to him has been, and, you know, without wishing to name drop too much, I I had a lot of conversations with Bobby Robson when I was a very young journalist. Um particularly in that final season when they finished fifth and how he dealt with the criticism. And there was criticism. We can't rewrite history. There was a lot of criticism attached to Bobby Robson at the end. And there was a lot of desire. There was a lot of fans out there and a lot in the local media and fanzines who wanted Bobby Robson out. Now, you know, that, that still annoys me to this day, but I know how he dealt with that criticism and the way he shielded the players from it. And he made the training ground oblivious to it, if that makes sense. Um, so I think Bruce needs to do more of that. And I think you're right. I think he has that. I think he's got caught in this kind of wanting to transition to an attacking team and then been getting worried about being spanked. And he sort of got caught in this sort of halfway house, not entirely sure which way he wanted to go. And I actually think this week, I think he actually just thought, fuck it. I'm going to go and play with two up front because that's what I want to do. And if, if we lose and I get battered, fuck it. Um, but this is what I want to do. And he got his reward for that. And I think that's they now have to stick with this for a while, with this run of games. Just stick with a settled system and play it and see what that yields and see whether that puts the run together. Because they, they look better with two up front. They look better, even if you want to call it a 4-4-2. 4-4-2 isn't a swear word in football. 
It's not. It's just because it's become outdated, supposedly, and unfashionable as a tactic. It's actually not that bad because actually against four two three one, it matches up really well against it. Even if you're playing free at the back, if you've got two strikers with a team playing free at the back centrally, that causes them more problems. So if four four two works, if that's what it's going to be, or a variation of four two three one, whatever. But it's basically four four two. Then go with it, stick with it, do it. And I think you're right. I think he's. I don't know whether it's because this is his city and he's got family members in the city and stuff gets back to him more about what's been said. I think he's he, he's been hurt by it in a way that he almost shouldn't be as a manager. Uh, and to actually just be that little bit stronger to do what he wants to do. And if that works, fine. If it doesn't work, fine. But manage it how he wants to manage it. Play how he wants to play. And stop listening so much to what's been said and the criticism about performances, style, identity, all these buzzwords. What's your football philosophy is a fucking phrase I can't stand. Um, but stop worrying about that and just play the game how you want to play it. And I think they did that against Palace. They've done it against Everton. Um, but just stick with this for a while and stop. Look, you're going to get criticism as a Newcastle manager. I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell fans what their club should be or what they think their club should be or how their team should play. He's going to get it, whatever. Bobby Robson got it. Every single fucking Newcastle manager has had criticism. Some of it is way over the top. It really is. But some of it's perfectly reasonable and justified. But just block it all out and get on with managing the club and keep keep the training ground as an oasis of positivity regardless of what is going on outside it. Keep it positive. Keep the players positive. And that, for me, the best Newcastle managers have always managed to do that. If you look at Keegan, if you look at Robson, if you look at Benitez, Benitez was even keel all the way through. Robson was even keel all the way through. Keegan was a little bit more emotional. But they blocked out the noise. And I know people think when I'm saying noise, I'm being dismissive. I'm not being dismissive. It's just a fact. There is a lot of noise around Newcastle because they're a club that people are very, very passionate about in the fan base. And it means a lot to people. But with that, as Steve Harper has called it, it does tend to be a bit bipolar. Um, and it's a very, very emotional fan base. So I think that's what national pundits don't quite understand. It matters to people in the northeast. It matters to Newcastle United fans how their team are playing, what the results are. So it leads to, in some cases, extreme overreactions, negativity. It leads to also some extreme overreactions in terms of positivity, but mainly the negative side of things because we are trapped in this Mike Ashley Newcastle, which I'm going off on a tangent now. But he needs to, Steve Bruce needs to block all that out and keep everything on an even keel, keep it positive and do what he wants to do within that training ground environment and stop listening and stop worrying about the criticism. And if he's asked about the criticism in the media, because that's what people have been doing to him, by the way, they've been trying to trip him up, getting him talking about criticism, putting words in his mouth with the way they answer, they ask the questions. So he repeats the phrase they've used and then it makes it look like he said it. Keyboard Warriors being the classic example. Um, but he's just got to block it all out. Stop worrying about the criticism. Get on with it. He's the manager in Newcastle United. It's a tough job. It's a hard job, but it's a brilliant job as well. It's the job he's always wanted. Enjoy it. Manage it how he wants to manage the club, not how other people are trying to tell him how to manage the football club. A couple of things here, Luke. Um, the, the Newcastle fan base being emotional one way, like to one extreme or the other. I mean, I, I, I would have to disagree with that based on, you know, only my own kind of, lived experience. I don't think we're any different to any to fans of any other club personally. Um, you know, you might perceive it differently. I don't think there's been a kind of long term um study. I think you are different. No, I think you are different. I I mean I, I, I personally don't think that but that, that's all right. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna park that. I think 
Um, the the Bruce thing you mentioned there about him being the job that he's always wanted. I mean, I don't know how much I buy into that either because he's he's actually knocked the job back before and things that he said when he's. Yeah, but I do know him. I do know him, and I I do know it's the job he's always wanted, and I know why he knocked it back in two thousand when he was uh, Birmingham manager, and a lot of that was out of loyalty to Bobby for a start. So anyway, carry on. Sorry, I'm interrupting. No, no, I mean that, that, that's a fair point. I just, um, I, I guess he's, I guess the decisions that he's made across the course of his career don't suggest to me somebody who's actually really wanted the Newcastle job. But again, you know, as I say, I might, I make you wrong, and, and you know him better, obviously. Um, the other thing is the this transition to attacking football you mentioned. I guess if I just look at Steve Bruce's career as a as a manager in management in the Premier League, I believe that his sides in the Premier League have only scored fifty goals more than once. Now. That's not not. It's meaningless. The, it's meaningless. The yeah, transition yeah, to attacking football is meaningless. It's just it's just it's just a buzz phrase. I, I, know, I, know, I agree. I mean, you did interrupt us here, Luke. So how it? But let let me finish. Um, the 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 fact that he says it, like I guess my question is why? Because ultimately, right? I'm not a fan sitting here thinking, oh, we need to go. We need to have attacking football. We need to get more gung ho. We need to be blasting 60, 70 goals a season. No, no, that's not that's not what what it is at all. I think it's just a case of you know working within the limitations we have as best as we can. But for him to come out and say, I want to transition to attacking football, when his career suggests that that's never something he's done, why do you think but that is? That's kind of my point, Norman. He, he's saying that because he thinks that's what he's supposed to say and that's what he's supposed to bring. So that's what I mean. He's, he's worrying too much about perceptions and being asked about style and identities and philosophies and, well, I want to play more attacking football. It's, it's just fucking meaningless. It's like, I want to play more in tech football. Great, we'll just win some football games. That would be the best way to do and it. You can understand and, you why know, it wanes a fan base up, right? You can't understand why those comments would wane. Yeah, I, I can, but that's what I'm saying. You're making the point I'm trying to say is that just block all that out. Stop saying what people you think people want to hear or responding to criticism that people have said and just manage it how you want to manage it. And if that means playing 4-4-2 the way they did against Crystal Palace, if that means they win the next four out of the five games and beat Brentford in the Cup, brilliant, great. Wonderful. I don't need to hear about transitioning to more attacking football. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I agree with you is what I'm sort of saying, but I'm, that's, what, that's why I'm trying to explain why Bruce needs to block everything out and just get on with what he wants to do. Stop saying what he thinks people want to hear to relieve some of the criticism. Just I get on with it. I agree completely. Lovely, lovely agreement there, Mark. Just, just to um, go back to the, the the sort of the Bobby Robson stories, and uh, obviously it's always great to hear about Sir Bobby. You know, fantastic. But uh, you know, it, it reminds me of the um, the whole situation with the the conversation between Bruce and the players, and uh, you know, changing it for last night. It's similar to Italian ninety when um, Robson and the players had a chat about the, the system that clearly wasn't working, and we went to the sweeper system and got the semi finals. So. You know, it's good to hear that. Whether that was player-driven or actually Bruce's idea, I mean, that's all open interpretation. But um, just a, a, another point on the, um, you know, the, 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 the anger and the, the sort of calls for, for Bobby to leave um, back in the day. I mean, to be honest, I wasn't really surrounded by it. I can't remember it um, as much, but it, it was there. I, I, I can't deny that. It was there. Um, but the, I think the, prob- the problem now is... is the the vast the vast majority of people I know and talk to on podcasts etc the vast majority are against Steve Bruce whereas back in the day with Bobby Robson um, I don't think the vast in fact the vast majority weren't it was probably what fifteen twenty percent tops and I think that's the problem now I know we'll probably touch on it 
And I think the problem with Steve Bruce, as you've mentioned, Luke, is he mm-hmm. did seem to take things to heart and he did seem to come out with things, which, let's be honest, a couple of things he said recently, he's now starting to call the supporters out a little bit. And once you start doing that, you know, let's be honest, in the past, there's no there's no going back. And for, for Steve Bruce, as I've mentioned, now he has now got to get that run and he's got he's got to shut the supporters up. And the only way he can do that is as you say, is blocking it all out and, and yeah. you know let the performances and results on the pitch do yeah. his talking. Otherwise, yeah. when we are allowed back into football, he's going to get the the, the shit what he, he probably would have got at the back end of last season in at some points of this season. You know, um, I'm writing a very good article about that next week, Mark, about fans returning to stadium. I tell you what, I did notice last night, and I, I did a bit of research because I knew I was doing this today, yeah. and. I found it absolutely fascinating. I spent about 15, 20 minutes while my wife was slowly losing the will to live <laughs> going through social media accounts last night of the most uh, vehement Bruce opponents um, who I've made a note of, mental note of in, in, my, in my head. I went, I went through, I went through <laughs> some media, some journalist accounts of people I would say were the most anti-Bruce and didn't hide it. Um, and what depressed me last night what, about this whole debate is those accounts were completely silent last night after that game. Yeah. There was nothing in the vast majority of cases. Some people did to be fair, but I'm not going to pick on individuals because that's unfair yeah. either in the media or fan base or podcasts or prominent members of the Newcastle United fan base, shall we say, but I would say eight out of 10 of those accounts were completely silent last night after that win. Yet I know if they were to lose or play badly, those accounts would fire up and they would be on Twitter for ages. Now, all you have to do, and, and I know some of you, you guys have done, is just say, actually, do you know what? I'm really pleased with that result or well done, good win, victory. But there was nothing from a lot of them, from journalists as well, and nothing. People who cover the club saying absolutely nothing about that win last night. Yeah, I know if I go back through their timeline and look after Chelsea or look after Southampton or look after Brighton, they will be venting, anger, slagging off Bruce, slagging off me, slagging off, well, not just my, this doesn't matter about me, I don't really give a shit about me, but do you know what I mean? It, it, that, I just found that really, I actually found that depressing, that a, a moment when you've, because it's become so toxic and people are so entrenched in their views and their opinions, that people aren't actually willing just to say, well done, and, and enjoying their team win, supposedly, but yet when they lose, they almost, I'm not saying they enjoy it, it's just completely opposite emotions, but they would rather vent than than enjoy a win, if you know what I mean. They'd rather vent about a defeat, I guess is what I'm trying to say, than enjoy a win on social media. And that is a problem with social media. And that's, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent. But honestly, I did the research last night and no word of a lie, I say eight out of 10, 80% of the people just said absolutely nothing last night after the win. I think I think the main thing I'm taking from, from that, Luke, is that you have an incredible wife uh, letting you away with stuff like that. And fair play to her. But... um. <laughs> you know what? I want to. I want to stick up for those people. I, I, I don't know who's on your list. Oh, you know. there's a lot of them. I yeah, probably am. But, um, You're all on my list. You're <laughs> but, but, but what I will say is, is, is last night, mate. And you're right. You know, I, I, I and we do this podcast every week, and and I agree with what you said earlier in the show. And I've said it on the podcast, so listeners will know and have heard me say this before. I don't like doing the kind of. Um, you know, win a game, well done, lads. Callum Wilson's great. You know, excellent. Lose a game, he needs sacked. It's not healthy. It's not. It's not good for anybody to be up and down as much as we are as a football club. So, so my my overall view on Steve Bruce hasn't changed. But what I have said consistently, and Norman and Mark are the same, that 
we are desperate for him to prove us wrong. I, I want nothing more than for me to be doing podcasts um, saying, God, I got that wrong. He, he, he's a great manager. He's done a fantastic job. He needed that bit of time, so that's fine. And I think for those accounts, you know, all we all we've done is is win win a bad game of football, and it was I enjoyed it. I you know. Callum Wilson at the end. I think the best part of that game last night was when Callum Wilson goes through. I just, you know, you're almost celebrating before it goes in because he scores because that's what he does. He's a goal you're scorer. Reasonable, Alex. You're, you're you're what I would call a reasonable critic, and and the other guys on here are reasonable critics and reasonable people. But there's people out there who really aren't, really aren't, and there's a lot of vitriol out there. And uh, Sh- Sh- I can never pronounce it. Shoy Shoy and Freud Mags, as uh, someone's called them. Um, there is a bit too much of that going on, uh, in my opinion. Anyway, I want to go on to another point here, right? We talk about progress. That's what we want to talk about. Has there been progress? You wanted me to say about the first 10 games of the season, right? The statistic, which isn't my own, but somebody else did, there's only once in the last 10 years of Newcastle collected more points after 10 games than Newcastle have this season. So, you know, I'm going to say... I'm going to say there are small signs of progress this season based on the point we've reached in the season after 10 games. A lot of work still to do. And we talk, we're going to go around in circles, but we're going to talk about the runner games coming up. But for me, do you agree there are small signs, if only on results, of progress being made compared to you compare Newcastle in a microcosm to the last 10 seasons in the Premier League? It's it's a good question. Uh, I've got an answer, but Norman, you got your hand up first, so go for it, mate. It is a good question. Um, if what you've just said is true, and I've got no reason not to believe you, then after ten games, um, we have got more points than we have another season. So that that's great. Um, whether or not that's and in a cup quarter final, we've, we've progressed in points. Oh, we're in a cup quarter final. We've, we've progressed. I mean, the glittering run to the quarter final we've had, but yes, we are in a quarter final. Um, the in terms of points then yes, there has been progress because we've got more points. So, you know, that that is progress in the points-wise. But in terms of actual progress based on the the team since Steve Bruce took over, and I'm, and I'm bringing, you know, the work in progress element to it here, just a couple of things. Um, I think that Bruce took over a, a team that was on its way to be an, an established mid-table side in the, in the Premier League and was on a, an upward trajectory based on how the second half of the 2018-19 season panned out. And I believe there's been, you know, quite a bit of investment, um, 100 odd million, 110 million. I know that obviously a couple of those signings coming in weren't Bruce's by choice, but there has been investment there. So you could argue that the squad <coughs> is stronger than it was um, when the previous manager left. And we're still at the moment, at best, I think, uh, mid-table side. At best, that's what we also... I don't think there's been any progress overall. I, I think with, with either regressed in certain elements or at best we've stagnated obviously the end of the season will give us the answer to that question really um and the other thing is i'd like to i'd like to ask you look if you what what you how you would conceptualize a work in progress and when it's no longer a work in progress well i had a i had this very same conversation with with george colkin last night as you know george and i are incredibly different but also very close friends and um the work in progress thing look when we talk about and George put this in his piece, which I know we got a lot of praise for, and I know you all loved it when George does that very, very well. But when George talks about he's been backed 100 million, right, Steve Bruce. Okay, the club have spent 100 million, but Steve Bruce has not been backed with 100 million pounds. That first summer, 
And I know he came in and said, I take ownership of these signings and blah, blah, blah. blah. Yes, he said, what else could he say? He came in three weeks for the season. He's had one summer transfer window to recruit permanent players. And he spent £35 million, which is the lowest spend Newcastle have made, I think, in a summer window. And I can't tell you the years. I'm sure someone maybe who listens to this could go through and maybe try and prove me wrong. I think that's the lowest spend, not net spend, but the lowest spend on players, I think, there has been in a summer window. So the work in progress, the work in progress is, the work in progress is a phrase that has annoyed people. But how quickly do you think there's going to be progress this season? When we boil it down into, we are 10 games into the season, I will judge them again in another 10 game block another 10-game block after that, and another 10-game block after that. I think we will know more about whether this team has progressed in another 10 games, to, to be honest, or, and probably another 10 games after that. We'll see where they finish. I think there are small signs of progress in terms of the wins against Burnley, Everton. Um, who else have they beaten? Remind West Ham. Me. West Ham, first game of the season, and last night, for there to be small signs of progress. But I agree with you, some of the football is turgid. and ultimately. That has to improve over a consistent and prolonged period of time for me to say and argue seriously with you that there is progress being made. I actually agree. I think there are small signs of progress, but not enough. But I also think it's still very, very early in the season with this new group of the players he's brought in. Fraser's never been fit, which we always knew was going to be a concern, uh, having not played since March. But they brought in Callum Wilson, wonderful signing. That is progress. They've made progress in the, in the recruitment this summer, I think, for sure. But we've just got to see that reflected. But we can't really seriously say from what we've seen so far this season that there has been a huge amount of progress. But neither, I will add, was I necessarily expecting to see a huge amount of process. And it goes back progress, but it goes back to what I've been saying all along. This period of games, I think we're going to know far more leading up to and after that Brentford Cup quarterfinal about whether there has been progress or not. There hasn't been enough evidence of it yet in terms of performances, but results, they're pretty good. And if you have to say, but only once in the last 10 years have they collected more points after the first 10 games and they're in a Cup quarterfinal, that's pretty decent for me. And, and ultimately, I will always come back to this argument, and I know it annoys people, but it's a results business. It will always be a results business. And those results are a sign of progress. Mark? Yeah, in regards to uh, results business, I understand uh, you, you, what you, the point you're trying to make. But the, the thing is, if you're watching a game of football, and, I, and I'll admit here, the last two games I've watched, I've had my laptop on on Zoom calls with friends. And I've barely, barely lifted my me, me, um, head up to watch the, the game because I'm just bored by it all. So if, if it was just a results business, then there would be no need to watch a Newcastle United football game simply because it's, it is turgid. It's boring. And if you if you just want to know the result, oh Newcastle's won, oh Newcastle's been beat. If that's if that's the the sort of how how we all feel, um, or well, I'm not saying we all feel. Uh, a majority of people I know feel about Steve Bruce managing Newcastle United. If it was just a results business, then we'd be so disconnected. It would be pretty much pointless. That's you know. But and in, in you only you only have to look at the fact that um, a combination of Rafael Benitez walking and um, Steve Bruce being appointed, we lost ten thousand fans. Um, so, and with the the, the current situation, um, I know more people who aren't, aren't renewing for next year that they're, they're taking the refunds. You know, so Steve, again, Steve Bruce has got to do something to try and win fans back for his third third and and, that, and then that comes back to style and what's the style and identity of the team exactly. and we want entertainment and we want you know we want all that. That's fine. I can't tell. I can't. 
I never would never ever try and convince any Newcastle yeah. United supporter how is it. You know, I'm paid to watch it. You know, I'm I'm. And I know, again, that annoys people, me saying that, but I, it's my job. I'm paid to watch it. I will watch it whether they were Tony Pulis was manager uh, or Steve McLaren was manager or whatever else. It, it, I have to watch it. Fans don't have to watch it. They've got a choice to make. So that's always going to be your choice. Um, yeah. But it does come back to what we're saying about there being these complaints about style and entertainment. And that's why I think Bruce has come out with those phrases about we're transitioning to a more attacking style of play and I get everything you're saying and it's your football club it's not mine I'm not a fan and that again I'm supposedly people get abuse on social media because I should be a fan I don't think like a fan um I am a fan of the city and my, I'm married to a Newcastle United fan and I have lots and lots of friends who are Newcastle United fans so of course I have an emotional interest in it as well but I agree with exactly what you're saying to an extent, and it, it, the football does need to improve and you want to go there on a Saturday and have something to be, to be entertained by. But I've had this weird thing in my head, which I'm probably going to write about next week, is that I keep reading people saying, can't wait to get back into the stadium to tell Steve Bruce how shit he is and what we think of him. And it's crap and we want him out and he's lucky the fans aren't in the stadium. Wouldn't it be great if the fans went back into that stadium and just for one, maybe two games, just enjoyed being back in the stadium supporting their team? And maybe I'm idealistic when I say that. Maybe people are going to say it's because Bruce is your mate. No, I just, when fans go back to the stadium, I want them to enjoy just being there, supporting the team, being supporters again, uh, whether that's 2,000, 10,000, 15,000 or 50,000 or however many they get in because the football's so crap. Just be great for me if it just almost started with a a clean slate. Does that make sense? That just, just, Just enjoy it. Just go to the game and enjoy it and see what happens to the team when Newcastle fans are at their best, but I can't tell fans what, that's just me being idealistic and romantic and whatever else. That's just what I'd like to see, but I can't influence really or tell fans what they think about their football team. That's not my place to do. And believe it or not, I don't do that. I just give my opinion on it and argue with people, my opinion based on what I think. Yeah. I, I think that it's, it's, it's a bit harsh because I think that what you are asking for will happen. Um, it'll be a momentous occasion when people are back in. And as long as the team, go out there and are set up correctly which I don't think there have been a few times this season and as long as there is you know a recognition from the manager that he knows what he wants to do going back to what you, you talked about earlier in the show I think fans will do that what I would like to go back to your original question is do, do I see signs of improvement I'm not so sure uh, and, and I agree with you that we'll you know the more games you play the more you find out about yeah. this football team because this season we've beaten we've only beaten teams that finished below us in the league last season Apart from Burnley, but then Burnley are, are one of the worst teams in the league. Although they got a good result last week against Palace, to be fair to them. So it's not it's not as if I've, I've seen anything better than than last season so far. What I have seen is a regression, and 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 I think I spoke to you through the week, Luke. You know, performances like Chelsea last week. Do we see them with fans in the ground? Do, 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 if you're going to play such a, a negative way, fans are obviously going to get you through it a little bit. They're going to make you press a little bit more. You know, we made one successful tackle in the first half against Chelsea, which is that should embarrass every single player on that pitch and the management. Forget about Chelsea being brilliant. They are brilliant. Fair enough. Doesn't mean we don't have to put any tackles on them. But then we find saying it wouldn't be like that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So then I'm not trying to criticise for criticism's sake because um, actually I'm wrong. Everton finished above us last season as well and we beat them. So so I'm I'm wrong with that point. But it's always important to admit you're wrong, Alex. Always important that. But this is where I'm going to come back to because last time you were on the the pod, Luke, there's two things that I want to talk about. Which which I, the first one is you said come back after ten games, invite you back on the show. We've done that. 
you said it, you know, if there still isn't any progress, um, you know, then then I'll be like everybody else. And, and you are saying there has been some progress. Small, so signs, that, of, small yeah, signs of progress, Alex. Let's quantify so, what I'm saying. Small so that's signs. fair enough. You, you, you said, you know, if there's still no discernible style of player pattern of football, you'd be asking questions. Well, I think, we've, you know, you've covered that playing two up front, being a bit more... Oh, it, it's not even a being, about being attacking for me. It's about contesting the middle of the pitch yeah, and and, yeah, and, and yeah. being in the game almost, not, not, being, not being subservient. Yeah, not being passive. It's not about attacking. But what, what I really want to ask you about for the last podcast, and you've, you've talked about this completely, unless you've read my mind, um, you, you, you've offered this up on Twitter today about some of the players Bruce wanted. You said on the last podcast you were here that Bruce turned down Jared Bowen for twenty million because he wanted to keep um, that money for the summer, and yeah. you you yeah. said to us that he thought he was going to get sixty to seventy yeah. million yeah. pounds to yeah. spend. And you've yeah. already referenced in the show that it's one of the lowest net spends in in Ashley's tenure, yeah. which is true. Yeah. So what happened, and does he feel like he's been fucked over like so many of his predecessors were before well, him? I, I have addressed this on Twitter. You're right, Alex, and it, and it fascinates me this because. Um, Okay, I was asked by somebody else the other day, what is the biggest mistake of Mike Ashley's tenure as Newcastle United manager? And I said, it wasn't Rafa Benitez leaving the summer he left because I I thought, I still believe Rafa, and we don't need to go into this again because it's it's tedious, but I think Rafa was a bit disingenuous about the reasons he left, blah, 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 blah. The biggest mistake Mike Ashley made was the summer beforehand when Rafa wouldn't sign the new contract and he withheld money and repaid his loans back to himself rather than put that money into the transfer kitty. That, for me, was the, 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 the summer when it all went wrong with Rafa, and it was the biggest mistake Mike Ashley's made as um, Newcastle owner. So I'll get that out there first now. But Rafa was a master of when there was blame or when the team played badly, like when they didn't win the, any of their first 10 games, he would always instinctively and skillfully direct the blame upwards for what the team was. And he did that superbly and he was pushing against an open door and that's great. And this isn't me slagging off Rafa because he was right because he got shafted that summer. Do you remember the one when he, he oh, said yeah. if he didn't sign his new contract, he could only have 35 million. That was effectively what he was told while, while Mike Ashley took 30 million pounds back out in loans. So he was shafted that summer. Now, Bruce this summer had a good week in the transfer window and he did, he was listened to. Now, Rafa went into every recruitment meeting like it was a conflict. Rightly or wrongly, he went in like it was a conflict um, and it was a war footing and he was demanding stuff. And if he didn't get it, he was in a mood and he would talk about it publicly. And he still got shafted, by the way. He ended up getting shafted. But, it, you know, the, the tension existed before that summer and it existed after that summer. Now, Steve Bruce doesn't had, didn't go into those same recruitment meetings like it was a conflict. And that was quite skillful in a way. And that's why he got Callum Wilson who was turned down by as a Rafa Benitez signing three years earlier. He got Callum Wilson when he was three years older because he had took that approach. But what effectively happened was he got those players and was very pleased with what they'd done. He then parroted that line in public. I'm delighted with what we've done. But I know behind the scenes, he still wanted a centre-back and he still wanted a central midfielder, a box-to-box driving central midfielder. And he wanted Ross Barkley. And he believed he could have got Ross Barkley, but he was told there was no money to do it because what happened to that money that he kept back in January was the money that they spent in the summer, the money he didn't spend in January when he didn't sign Jared Bowen. Um, And he didn't get anything else. That other money went for the TV money effectively went to covering the costs of COVID. Um, 
and he never saw any of it. So when he tried to get Ross Barkley, when he tried to get another centre-back, when he tried to get Ruben Loftus-Cheek on loan, he was told no because there's no money. Now, I think we'd all agree if Ross Barkley had turned up in the summer and was in that Newcastle team, they would be better. Now, should Bruce... I'm going to ask you guys this as well because you're asking me. Should Bruce have complained and kicked up a fuss in public and complained about what he didn't get? Or was he right to say, I've got kind of what I wanted, or I've got 50% of what I wanted, uh, 70% of what I wanted in the players we brought in and recruited well? But he didn't do any of that in public. Now, my worry is he won't be rewarded for that by Ashley in January or even next summer if he's still there. And then he'll be in exactly the same position. What you would like to think is that Mike Ashley and Lee Charney look at it and go, do you know what? This manager's working with us. But when he comes to us next time and says, we need this to kick on, I want to sign this player because he will do this to the team. I just hope they listen to him and don't revert to type, which is what we've seen for 13, well, how many bloody years it is now? 14 years. How many years is it? God, is it 14 years? Nearly 14 years. Nearly 14 years, Christ. 14 years of my life, I'll never get back. Um, and will will they will they revert to type and just shaft him again in the transfer window? The history suggests to you, going back all the way through the Ashley recruitment years, the manager will get shafted in the end. Pardew tried to play the game. It's a little bit different. I think Bruce has got a bit more of an edge to him with Pardew. And I do know that Bruce did actually kick off in the summer, but it was all privately done. It wasn't done through the media, but he did kick off in the summer. And that's why they got the players they got. But is he going to get shafted again? Is he? Is Mike Ashton really going to care that Steve Bruce has effectively protected the club this summer? Or when it comes to saying, look, we need this player. If we're going to kick on to the next level, we need this player. Is he going to get that? My fear is he'll end up being shafted like all the other managers were. And then he's played this kind of political game for really it's not going to benefit him at all. It's benefited Mike Ashley. Alan, I'll jump in. I don't know what um, Mark and Norm think, but... You know, yes, I'd agree with you that if you're going to be the manager and you're going to be here a long time, it makes sense to try and keep those relationships. However, unlike Benitez, I think Bruce is trying to, you know, from, you know, I'm, I'm hearing this for the first time, what what you're saying there. I didn't know that. Um, but if you look at what, if you look at what Bruce has said publicly about, about the fans and about attacking football, it, it's almost like he didn't get Ross Barkley. So he has to play unbelievably passive football and, and then after those games rather than saying yeah didn't work that time Jesus Christ that was bad we got away with it at Wolves and Spurs but he said well we'd all like to play attack on football wouldn't we so he's still he's still making those same representations that you know he hasn't been backed or he would love to play to play two strikers we'd love to do this but he can't mm. He's, he's he's still whinging essentially, so it's just, it's. He is, but he's he's not doing it like Rafa was. Rafa from the third, the winter window in that in that season in the championship was when he wanted Andros Townsend for eighty uh, on eighty grand a week and a fourteen million pound transfer fee. Um, he was he was from that moment he would die. He was always complaining he didn't get what he wanted in every window, um, always always. And it was it was the same. He wanted more players towards the end of every window. He went into every transfer deadline day saying, I want more players. I want more players. Um, and you, he, honestly, he did. I don't know if you all remember. I certainly do in the media because I like to sit through the press conferences and the off-the-record briefings afterwards. And he constantly did that. Bruce didn't go into the end of this transfer window complaining like that, did he? He didn't, he didn't directly tackle or criticise those above him at the football club. Um and it wasn't just about Ross Barclay. 
you know, it, that that would have been the ideal signing. But Ross Barkley's on £250,000 a week, I believe. So it probably wasn't realistic. But he could have come out and said, I wanted Ross Barkley and I didn't get him. The club haven't backed me. He could have said all that. Um, we could have said it off the record to us. And I'm revealing it now, and only because I've already also said it in print, that he did want those extra players. He did want another centre-back. He did want another central midfielder, but he didn't get them. Now, he will expect to get those players, if not in January. And I, they probably will make some loan signings, I would have thought, in January. But we'll see. whether We might not have any money to do that. Who knows with Mike Ashley, who's legal action and trying to sell the club, blah, 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 blah. Um, whether he were actually free any money up. So... You know, man, we know moving into a January transfer window that Mike Ashley doesn't like spending unless he absolutely has to. He'll be looking at the table now and where they are, and he might just turn around to Steve Bruce and go, "No, there's no money. Sorry, I'm trying to sell the club. Uh, I'm taking this legal action. It could be sold any minute." And you know, I my thoughts on that are it won't be, but we know that. Um, but it might be the perfect excuse for him not to spend any money in January. So then Bruce will go to the summer and say, "I want these players. Can I get these players?" And they say, "Oh, they're outside of our wage budget, or oh, they're too old." So he might just get shafted like everybody else. But we'll see. We'll see. It's all in the future, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, just just a quick one in regards to uh, the whole transfer business, and and you know, it is it is a, a case of rinse and repeat under Mike Ashley. I think we all know that. We just don't know what what car he's going to play and how much money anyone's going to get. But I, I think I think. It seems to me, Luke, and I, forgive me if I'm wrong here, mate, but it, it sounds to me as if you want us to applaud Bruce in a way for not saying something about what he didn't get. No, I don't. I, no, no, that's not my intention at all. I want to see what you thought about it, all right. whether well, it was the right way to go. I, I, don't, I, I think I certainly I'm not applauding him for it. Right. So I certainly wouldn't applaud what I expect you to. I was interested in what you thought, whether okay. that was a better tactic with Mike Ashley or, well, or just, should he have done more what Rafa did? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean just, just, just to sort of, I take that back then. I mean, if you look back to as far as, uh, I think this, this is this is going to be the battle that a lot of um, you know this is where there's, there's fallouts over Rafa versus Bruce or Bruce against Pardew or whoever you want who want to bring it in. If you go back even further to Kevin Keegan, Kevin Keegan was a prime example of someone when he wanted a player, he spat his dummy out, but he he always got that player. He made it public that the board weren't backing him and. Unfortunately, it was when the club uh, decided to float in nineteen ninety. <laughs> did that with Ashley in Gwent, yeah. Yeah, and that, that ended up him leaving because the board turned around and says, enough's enough, we'll give you enough silver. You, you, you haven't um, given the trophy, get, get on with it. And I, th- I think that the thing is, and again, you know, look, I can only take, as a, take what I read and see or hear as a supporter. I haven't got the inside knowledge that you and or Alex, even to an extent, get. But when I used to listen to Rafa Benitez and when it used to go public and journalists used to speak on his behalf, he used to speak and fight as like he was a supporter. He knew what reinforcements we needed. And right or wrong, he made it public. So we were thinking, well, yes, it's blatantly obvious we don't need uh, Yossily up front. He's not good enough. But, you know, and, and we knew we needed a, a 20 goal scorer. And brilliant, we've got Callum Wilson. I'll, I'll, I'll say this now. I'm absolutely ecstatic with Callum Wilson because he's the best right we've seen probably since Demba Bar. He's, he's, he's phenomenal, but that, that's for another podcast. But I think the point I'm trying to make is when the likes of Rafa did it and when Kevin Keegan did it, totally different ownership, I get that. But if, as a supporter, that's what you want to hear. And ultimately, it just seems to me as if that's going against Steve Bruce because it just smells a little bit of a little bit of lack of ambition by him. And I know, I know, I know deep down, look, Steve Bruce will want to win the quadruple at Newcastle United. And we would want any manager to do that. But I think the point I'm trying to make is is un- unless we see that little bit of fight, again, going into his third and potentially final year of his contract, um, 
he's got to make the fans believe in him. And if he turned around and said in January, I'm pissed off now because you have promised me money. You know we need a better centre midfielder. We need another a striker and things like that. And until he starts making it obvious and working with the supporters, perhaps the supporters are always going to have that doubt about him. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Difficult choice. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a very interesting point. I don't disagree with you at all. It's just an interesting stance, yeah. Mark's just um, basically verbalised everything I wanted to say on that. He's absolutely bang on. And I think um, I think Bruce would actually gain more favour with the fans if he took a kind of leaf out of Benitez's and Keegan's book. You know, you think of Keegan actually back um, when Ashley employed him as a manager and then he left within three games of the, the following season because, again, he'd been promised things that never came. And if Bruce, yeah. if Bruce basically publicly publicly called out Ashley's lack of ambition, I, again, I think that would get him a more sympathetic hearing amongst fans. It certainly would with me, anyways. Absolutely. But, um, m- moving on from that, uh, a question for you, Luke. Now, what do you think realistic expectations we ought to have for Steve Bruce as a manager in Newcastle? Like, what do you think we can achieve with him in charge? Win a cup. What about, uh, what about like so what about sort of league position? What, what do you think we should be? Where do you think we should be aiming for the league? I know you should aim as high as you can, but in, okay. In well, I'll I tell you now, the league interests me far less than winning a cup. Honestly, yeah. uh, and that's why the Brentford game for me is is the most important game out of all of this run. I said that earlier on in the interview. I would I, I would much rather Newcastle won a cup and finished fifteenth in the league than finished tenth in the league and got knocked out in the fourth or fifth round of the cup, but that's just me. I, I, would, um, I would take that, Luke. I'd, I'd back you there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think that's why the Brentford Cup game is so important. Um, what what can they be? The, we, we go into this tiresome thing about Newcastle's average league position under Mike Ashley is 13th, but that does matter. And, St- and, and Alan Shearer said that on the, on, on, the, on the television last night. Steve Bruce and Rafa Benitez we're not the problem. They're not the, the, the root of all the problems at Newcastle. The root of all the problems at Newcastle is Mike Ashley and the way he runs the club and his lack of ambition. So realistically under Bruce, I would like to see them. If he sees out his contract, you would want them to be a top 10 team that looked like it was taking the cup competition seriously every single year and had a cup run. That 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 is what we all wanted really under Rafa. Um, realistically, certainly uh, virtually under every manager, because until we get a change of ownership, the way football is at the minute, and this isn't trying to diminish what Newcastle can be. I have said consistently that Newcastle United are the last remaining Premier League club worth buying to turn them into a title challenging European playing football club. But realistically, with the budgets they have under Mike Ashley in the next three years in terms of progress, in an ideal world, Newcastle will finish in the top 10. 10 upwards, maybe I might even take 11 for just argument's sake, but they would consistently get into the latter rounds of the, of, of the cup competitions and would not be what not not be starting every season thinking, oh, we just want to stay up. Okay. Uh, but I would like them to be looking upwards and challenging, thinking, do you know what? If we have a really good season, we might have a chance of, you know, an outside chance of a European Cup run. Whether that's going to happen in the next what we're talking 18 months now under Bruce's contract, I don't know, but he would, I think he needs to get them into the top 10. We have no worries about relegation from August till May. Um, and and re- relatively, this season they haven't done um, because of the points difference, because this may arguably, if you want to be negative about it, there's three terrible teams in the league, but they haven't done, but they need to be established as a top 10 team, but it is the cups that really matter to me. And that is the one thing that I think Steve Bruce got when he came in 
was the cup. And, you know, people keep saying to me, oh, he's only beaten lower league opposition. We got knocked out by the first decent team. Do you know the people who say that, Alex, and you said that, and I did have a bit of a go at you about it. You sound like Pardew. You sound like Rafa Benitez. You sound like all those managers who came in and tossed off the FA Cup because he said there's no point doing it because as soon as you play against someone good, you get beaten. The big boys always win it. It was that defeatist negative attitude that Mike Ashley had for the cup competition. So, yes, they've only beaten. They've been pushed by League One and League Two clubs, but they've still got to two cup quarterfinals. And how many times have we seen Newcastle teams get knocked out by lower league opposition in the last 16, 17 years since they, you know, since they last reached a cup semi-final. It's happened pretty much every season. So it's not a great achievement, but it is. It's better. It's better. It's nice to be in a cup quarter final and still be talking in November, going into December, of getting to Wembley. It that is just better for me. That that's more exciting, and that's what Newcastle should be doing. That's if you want to look at the last 50, 60, 70 years, with the exception of those Keegan and Robson years. That's what Newcastle have been. They've been a cup team. And that's what they can be, again, regardless of what finances are now in football, they can still be a cup team. They can still dream every season in August of reaching a cup final, reaching a semi-final, playing at Wembley. And that's what I think Newcastle United can still be, regardless of whether Mike Ashley's owner or not. And I hope that's what Steve Bruce turns them into. Fair enough, time. Oh, sorry, I was just going to jump in quickly to add on to that. Um, fair enough on the Cups, I, I agree. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, cup runs regardless who you play. But in terms of finishing in the top 10 or, or becoming a, a top Ten saying, do you think we as fans ought to believe that Steve Bruce has the capabilities of, of establishing us as that? You don't have to believe it. It's just whatever he can do. Do you know what I mean? Do I'm you think he can do? I think he can do, yeah. I think if you look at the league this season, you look where they are now. We're going to know more again. I'm going to keep coming back to it. We're going to know more after this little run of games, aren't we? If, if you know, they can pick up three or four wins in a draw, remain unbeaten, beat Brentford in the cup quarter final then we're, going to, we're all going to be sitting here before Christmas going, do you know what? Yeah, maybe they can be. But equally, they might not do that. And we'll go around in this circle and we'll say, well, maybe he can't do it. But I think they can do I think they can finish. I think they can probably finish 10th. For, I think they can finish higher this season than they did last year. And I think they have to finish higher than they did last year in the league. And if they reach a cup semi-final, if they get to the league cup final in March, that that is actually what really matters to me this season. The, the league is boring. The Premier League has actually become pretty boring I'm not allowed to say that very often but it has become pretty boring and then what you would hope is you'd hope that once you're in the top 10 you would build again and you would make that next step but you have to have those solid I think mid-table aspirations make sure you're established in the Premier League and then add that two three bits of quality every window and hopefully keep your best players but we're a long way from that at the moment aren't we so I want Newcastle United to win the league. I want Newcastle United to play in the Champions League. I want Newcastle United to be the club I think they should be and could be, um, which is one of the biggest clubs in the country and one of the most successful clubs in the country. But the history of Newcastle, they haven't often been that and they are not going to be that, sadly, with Mike Ashley as owner. So hopefully we get new owners and then we'll worry about all the, you know, the next league. But for now, the, I think Steve Bruce can make them finish higher than last year in the league. Yes, to answer your question. That's fair enough, and I think that's a good answer, Luke. One thing I will come back at you with is, yep, the cup, the cups, the cup thing's a great point in it, and I agree with it, and I care. You know, I went to Rochdale last season. I went to West Brom. I, I was more enthused by that cup run than most of the league campaign. My issue is, if you're going to be a cup team, you can't just toss off games like you did against Manchester City. Yeah, but Man City was just that was just awful. I mean, that imagine what that game would have been like with fans, Alex. That game yes, was, was the most depressing. Was. That was the most depressing example of lockdown football. And George is exactly the same as me. That I hated that game. 
I absolutely hated it. And there is no way Newcastle would have been passive with supporters in it. It was a training game and it absolutely suited Manchester City. I know what you're saying about being passive, but it wasn't the cup quarterfinal that that should have been. And you, every, all three of you know that. You know what that stadium would have been like with fans in it. And you know what Man City had been got at and they had been rattled and they had been upset by St. James's Park at its best. Fairly frequently lost under Benitez, drew two all with Newcastle under Bruce under in their last two visits. And that game was awful. It was the most depressing example of, of behind closed doors, lockdown football I've done. And I actually wrote afterwards, if this is what the FA Cup's going to be like next season, don't bother. Because it was just not what it should have been. So I take your point, Alex, but it wasn't what that Newcastle team would have been and that performance would have been and that occasion would have been if fans had been it. The City would have been absolutely jumping that day. Absolutely jumping. And I had to turn up and watch it in fucking training ground conditions and just watch Man City waltz around, pass the ball, Newcastle try and soak up some pressure. Gale missed that huge chance, of course, didn't he, at 1-0. If but maybe don't care, but it just wasn't it wasn't what that cup quarterfinal should have been and would have been with fans in. So I don't I know what you're saying, but it just wasn't it wasn't real that game. I agree. But look at looking forward though, if we get Man City in the semi final in in January, yeah, there's going to be no fans either, and, and and it brings it back to what we talked about earlier in the show, which is. You know, the turn up that day, they knew there were going to be no fans. And I said this at the time, and we disagreed. I'd have happily lost that game 6 0. Yeah, no, it's because I don't have to get the players in for training or, or get them ready for the next game. Yeah, okay. But that. that is the point of the cup, and, and it brings it back to that. If we're going to agree that Steve Bruce wants to play with two strikers and wants to have a bit of a go, and you know, this is, you know, to your question, what Norman asked you, I'm all right with being, you know, let's say we end this weekend 14th in the league again because the three teams below are all better than us and they're probably going to win I'm all right with being 14th well I'm not all right but under Mike Ashley I can accept that like like you say Luke we'll have a tilt at the top 10 let's be much better than the relegated sides but if I go and see a score three or four a couple of times a year be nice then I'm me. then I'm all right with that yeah but, but yeah, what no, I've got for the majority isn't that it's it's this kind of look over your shoulder you know, we went to Man City last season away from home a couple of weeks after that and we got beat 5-0 and this is the thing. That was more lockdown football, Alex. It's, they were already safe. It's kind yeah, of they were, but, but if you're gonna, but if you're going to go, but we did it last week against Chelsea, we did it against Southampton. If you're going to go to these places and get spanked anyway, we're going around the houses here because we've said it already. Bruce, for me, to answer the original question, Norman's question, which he asked you about what do we think is realistic under this manager? I think it's realistic to expect him to have learnt from the past couple of weeks, from this season so far, actually, when he sets his team up to be passive, it, it goes badly. And if we go to Brentford and we get beat 2-1 because Brentford are brilliant and we miss chances, I am okay with that. Brentford are a decent... I know they're in the league below, but they're, they're a good team with a good manager. Yeah. He, yeah. The, the, his And you're right, these next four or five games define his reign. He, he, he and I, I appreciate he speaks to you, he speaks to George, he speaks to other people. Um, he needs to learn himself that... Being Newcastle United manager isn't isn't I think this kind of hard job which he sometimes makes it out to be. Mark Norman, I think I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you'll agree. If we see this team go to Villa next weekend, and they don't have to have all the ball, they don't have to go gung ho. But you know what? If we get beat two 0 at Villa and Villa play well, it would and they've, they've had some good results. We can live with it. We're not going to come on the podcast every week on Twitter and say fucking Bruce, he's hopeless. Yeah, if we go and see, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, no, if really we see some sort of intent, and that's that's the key word, intent. And yeah. you know, we've gone on, 
way too long here because we've done an hour and fifteen Fine, minutes. Did, and I want... did I tell you the story when, when you know the nil-nil draw against Norwich last season? I, did I tell you the story about what I said to Steve Bruce after that? No. Yeah, yeah. Please, please do. I said I, I can't fucking watch that anymore. <laughs> I can't. No, I said seriously, I can't fucking watch that anymore. And he just said, I know. I know. So <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with it. I agree with it. That, that Man City, you know, I hope that is a learning curve. But you have to remember as well going into that man, it just wasn't real. But they had beaten Chelsea. They had beaten Man U. They had beat. They had drawn two all with Man City playing that way. But I just think without the fans there to to make it less passive, you know, when you're going to be a low block, to use current phraseology. But when you get a raw and there's a tackle or a clearance or the goalkeeper makes a great save, I think in those circumstances, it makes a huge, huge difference. If you Even if you're going to deploy that kind of soak-up pressure. Um, but without fans, it was just far too easy. And I agree. I hope he's learned his lesson. I hope they just go, you know, we don't want to see passive crap football anymore watching Newcastle. So, you know, we're, we're, you know I totally agree with you there. Um, and let's hope that they win that Brentford game, get a cup semi-final get to the final, win the League Cup, and a statue of Steve Bruce is erected with me <laughs> speaking at the official unveiling. Brilliant. Right, because we've gone on so long and you've got a lot to do this afternoon. Lucas, I know, I've got work to do, show. yeah. Um, it, 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 you know, I wanted to ask you about the take of, we'll not go into it. You've already kind of said that you don't think it's going to happen. Is that what no, you're it's sticking be, it's with? Better to, it's better to think that. That's all I'm saying. I want it to happen, but it's better, honestly, for your mental health and emotional well-being, just block it all out. Expect it not to happen, and then maybe one day we'll get a lovely surprise. But nothing that has happened since July has made me any more confident it's going to go through, if I'm honest. But I, I'm, I'm very, very happy to be wrong. Brilliant. Mark, Norman, any last words for Luke before we let him go? No, it, it's, it's been another interesting debate. You know, I think um, what, one thing I did forget to say is, is applaud Luke, because I watched him on uh, Chris Gallagher's shot show a couple of weeks back, and I thought um, it, it ended a lot of... Um, vitriol online, you know. There's a there's a lot of not nasty arseholes out there, and uh, I know I know Luke can be nasty. I, I wouldn't call him an arsehole, but he can't be nasty. But War can, <laughs> um, but ultimately it's been an interesting <laughs> debate, and uh, you know, and it's been diplomatic again, Luke. So th- th- thanks for coming on, mate. No, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'll, I'll come on again. Why don't why don't we say another ten games? Um, which will probably be January or sometime. Actually, no, maybe not ten games. I think they play so fucking many in December. <laughs> Score a lot on this podcast, I've noticed. Um, <laughs> but no, it's um, it's been great. I, I really enjoy it. I, you know, this is the problem with Twitter. You don't you don't really debate, do you? You just pontificate and yeah. Brilliant. Well. Anyway, thanks. sorry, Alex. Thanks. You want to wrap it up, Alex? Right. Yeah. I'll wrap it up. Thanks, Luke. Uh, thanks, thanks Lance. guys. We'll... Really enjoyed it. We'll be back next Saturday post Aston Villa. Catch the Charlotte show on YouTube um, pre-game. Me and Norman were on that this week. That was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, a good result and performance against Villa. And that statue will be getting plumber permission soon. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.